everyone, and welcome to Work With Purpose, a podcast about the Australian public service. My name's David Pembroke. Thanks for joining me. In today's episode of Work With Purpose, we go back to a recent webinar that IPA held about the challenges we're all currently facing in both the public and private sector, and that is around issues of talent shortages, evolving employee expectations, and just indeed the impacts of COVID, the great exhaustion, or indeed is at the time of great inspiration. So for leaders, what does it all mean? What does it mean around culture? What does it mean around the expectations of employees? And indeed, how are leaders in the public service managing this? So to discuss all of those issues, IPA brought together three of the leading minds in the Australian public service, Belinda Casson, who is the Acting Chief Operating Officer of the Department of Employment and Workplace Relations, Michael Nelson, who is a General Manager at Services Australia, and Rachel Jackson, who is the Chief Operating Officer at the National Indigenous Australians Agency. Now, the conversation is put together by the Associate Regional Director for Hayes Recruitment, Clara Fallon. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to today's event. A great exhaustion or a great inspiration. My name is Clara Fallon, and I'm the Associate Regional Director for Hayes in Canberra, and I'm delighted to be your chair today. I acknowledge that we are attending this session from the lands of the Ngunnawal people. I also acknowledge the traditional custodians of the various lands on which you all may be joining this meeting today and any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people participating in today's session. On this land, we enjoy the view of the Brindabellas to the west and the snowy mountains to the south. I pay my respects to the elders past, present, emerging, and celebrate the diversity of Aboriginal peoples and their ongoing cultures and connections to the surrounding lands and waters. So about IPA, for those of you who are unfamiliar, IPA ACT was established in 1953 and is a professional body focused on the promotion of excellence, professionalism in the public sector arena. IPA is a not-for-profit and non-partisan organisation that provides a platform for debate, discussion, and all about improving and striving for excellence in public service in Australia. So just as an overview, today you'll hear from our expert panel um, who will share their knowledge on the challenges faced by changing expectations in a new government, the community, and talent shortages and the evolving employee value proposition and what that means for leadership. It is my pleasure to firstly introduce Belinda Casson. Belinda is currently the Acting Deputy Secretary and Chief Operating Officer for the Corporate and Enabling Services Group at the Department of Employment and Workplace Relations. Prior to taking up this role from the 1st of July this year, Belinda was the first Assistant Secretary for People, Parliamentary, Communication and Insurance Division and Chief Risk Officer in the Department of Education, Skills and Employment. Belinda has held senior roles in the Department of Finance, the ATO and the Department of Health. And Belinda has also experience in workplace relations and work health safety policy. And uh, really looking forward to your, your, your brain on this today. Thank you. Um, next, I'd like to welcome Michael Nelson. Michael works with Services Australia and brings a wealth of experience in federal and state government public service. 
Michael has led various corporate functions, but primarily HR related during a career spanning 20 years in the public service. He's currently the general manager of, P of the People Division, where he has responsibility for all enterprise-wide HR functions. He's also spent five years working for consulting firms and managing emerging businesses in, to realise their potential. He has a passion for transformation and business improvement and for working closely with clients to deliver their desired business outcomes. Thank you, Michael. And finally, I'd like to welcome Rachel Jackson. Rachel is coming up to her three year anniversary of Chief Operating Officer at the National Indigenous Australians Agency. Rachel previously held Chief HR Officer functions at the Department of Industry, Innovation and Science, the Department of Finance and, Attorney, and the Attorney General's Department and was the Executive Director Governance at the ACT Justice and Community Safety Directorate. Rachel holds an Executive Master of Public Administration. Thank you all so much for being part of today. Uh, as you can all see, this, uh, this event is being um, videoed, being recorded, and a copy is going to be available for everyone um, post the event on the IPA website. So you can go in and look at that. Um, if you'd like to join the conversation with us online, the Twitter hashtag is hashtag IPA events. And so I'd like to start with some opening remarks. If we think about increased digital, digitalization of work um, and giving employees data to break down the work that's being performed and automate where possible, but rather than dropping headcount, allow freeing up our employees to perform high value work and really an emphasis on the human element. Is this us addressing the great exhaustion with inspiration for innovation? Very, I'd like to start with you, Belinda. So, so very, I, I'm clearly very excited to talk about this. Um, <laughs> Wonderful. It's an excellent question. And um, I think the short answer is column A, column B. Mm -hmm. So I think um, it would be mad for HR practitioners like us to pretend that staff and managers and stakeholders and everyone else aren't exhausted after COVID. So COVID, uh, pandemic, uh, natural disasters, you know, I think the, the level of exhaustion in the system is something we can't ignore. But I'm also incredibly excited by what's been happening in the last couple of weeks and months um, in the public service and it's and obviously going to continue to ramp up in terms of, you know, feeling and seeing and, and hearing people feel inspired by, by what they're working on. And, you know, we know in HR that, you know, people who are engaged uh, and connected to the purpose of their work, um, you know, do great things. And and that's both a blessing and a curse though, because incredibly engaged people at the moment are also very tired. So mm -hmm. there's a really big, um, you know, issue there to grapple with. So it'd be good to unpack that today. Um, as you said uh, in the opening remarks, I'm at the Department of Employment and Workplace Relations. And I guess to come to the point about the purpose of your work. I joined this department, perhaps we don't need to say exactly what year, but a long time ago as a graduate. And so being able to support the department with corporate and enabling services now in what is my policy spirit home is actually incredibly exciting for me, but also exhausting. Let's not pretend that's not the case. Um, I think, you know, we're a couple of blocks away today from the Jobs and Skills Summit up at Parliament House. Um, and there's 
already commentary this morning coming from ministers and, and attendees about you know the, the key role that the public service the australian public service but but all of them for that matter across states and territories we want them to be model employers and so unpacking some of these issues around exhaustion and inspiration and getting that balance right uh, is something that is a big focus for the government and i think absolutely top of mind for you know executive boards and committees right across um, the aps so looking forward to unpacking some of that stuff today uh, with Michael and Rachel getting to hang out with them and talk shop um, and have and have some folks listening as well is a it's a pretty fun way to spend a lunch break so thanks for having me wonderful thank you Michael to you can yeah thanks next. very much thank Clara you. and yeah really good points I absolutely agree and I, I think I'm starting off from the same position as you Belinda that I think yes the great exhaustion absolutely we've experienced that over the last couple of years but equally there is a great level of enthusiasm and in part that's been through what we've achieved and what we have learned that we can achieve uh, by um, you know, having a bit of pressure placed upon us as public servants. I, just, I suppose I want to talk about the Service Australia experience uh, over the last couple of years. So yes, um, times have been trying. Uh, we've had to go through novel periods where we've just had to explore new ways of operating. But they've also been incredibly rewarding in terms of what we've achieved as an agency. Uh, and that hasn't been done on our own. That's been done with collaboration across the public service. Uh, and, and I say that because the number of times that we've had to stand up teams to surge, if you like, you've probably all heard those, those terms uh, used fairly regularly over the last couple of years to actually meet the de demands of the government and also meet the needs of the Australian community um, has been substantial. So pandemic um, payments, um, support through floods and fires and numerous occasions of having to do that. Uh, they have been very trying. I think um, what's been useful through that uh, process and period has been the fact that we have been able to collaborate. We've actually chosen to engage with our staff in different ways to what we've previously done. So we've actually given them a license to be more creative. Um, and also we've, I suppose, um, driven a really purposeful approach to uh, meeting the needs of Australian people. So our technology advancements over that period had been absolutely substantial. And if I think back to the probably the three main things that made our um, approach to dealing with the pandemics, fires and floods successful as an agency, it comes down to the leadership that we've had through that time, pulled the leadership group together, the CEO was very, very purposeful in pulling people together, having regular meetings, having a great cadence to make sure that communication was uh, really clear. They understood what the problems were and how we need to go about solving those things. Communication, as I said, um, was absolutely central to that. So not only within that group, but um, communicating out to the staff, out to our other stakeholders and also through to government. And then for the third one was around trust. So this is a time of great trust and that was placed in our staff to be more creative, to try and develop things within really short periods of time to meet the needs of the Australian uh, population. So we're transforming, we're able to move from, uh, I suppose by way of example, um, times when payments would have typically taken X number of days to pay people, to being able to pay people within their bank as soon as they rolled up to uh, seek payments. So within 40 minutes, uh, money was in people's banks. Um, the approach that we took to that was, I'd probably describe as tight, loose, tight, 
We had tight in terms of what was expected and what was needed of the agency. We're loose in terms of being able to give people the autonomy to do things that was creative. And then it was tight again in terms of monitoring how we were going. Do we need to tweak anything? Uh, how do we use that? Quite a useful uh, process though. Um, and at the heart of that, of course, we have a fantastic culture within uh, Services Australia around helping people. So that was uh, front and centre and, and really important for our success. Um, have people been exhausted through that process? Yes, they absolutely have. Um, we've been very conscious of that. We've needed to be. They've been working very long hours for very long periods of time. Um, so in order to do that, we've just been monitoring and supporting them as best we can, where there's leave available, encourage them to take leave, tools available to support them. Understand that the continuum, if you like, of wellbeing doesn't just uh, stop and start at the workplace or at home, it's across the board. People will take their tiredness home, they'll bring their tiredness back to work, their stresses, their demands as well. So being really conscious of the needs of our people um, has been front and centre of what we've, we've had to do. So the two, I suppose, really um, important things that have been part of our success have been people about the centre, so really human-centric approach, and using tech to support us to deliver for the Australian people as well. Excellent, thank you, Rachel. Thanks, Connor. Um, so at the at the outset, you said uh, I'm coming up to my three year anniversary. The agency is is three years old now. Um, so a lot of this happened when we were still building as an agency, National Indigenous Australians Agency, stood up 2019, and um, we were in a building process um, when we had bushfires um, and then. Uh, COVID came along. So the agency has been in this crisis mode for uh, a while, like everyone, but we were still, we didn't have a lot of the foundations that probably um, Michael and, and Belinda had. And so that, I think people have been exhausted through that time, but we have a really strong sense of purpose in the agency. And in the in 2020, the, the main focus was what do we need to do to keep COVID out of communities, protect our elders, and um, the agency was united in that. And that was, that was very strong um, coming through. We've got a national presence, um, very remote uh, uh, regional and, and capital city presence. So people were very united in that. But um, then <laughs> the vaccines came, the, the things got... Uh, opened up more, um, life changed. We There was at some point, I think, people talked about post-COVID and now I think we've just, it's living with COVID. So um, that cycle of um, moving out of crisis mode, but still having this information coming at us all, all the time, the expectation's very high. Um, people do feel tired, um, but then, um, the election uh, in the the Prime Minister's acceptance speech, the first line, he spoke about uh, his government's commitment to implementing the Uluru Statement from the Heart in full, and that gave the agency a lift. Um, but it's also a big responsibility. Um, we are heading towards the first referendum for a long time, uh, and so we are also on a transformational agenda um, to make sure that we are we have our um, focus and resources in the right place and the skills uh, in how we work. Um, so it's it's trying to int introduce um, transformation at a time when people are tired is really hard. And um, we're still in that process of 
of developing our roadmap, but um, people are, I think, uh, engaged. People have been leading this development of the transformation uh, roadmap. People are coming in wanting to be involved. I've been out talking to staff there. They're excited by the change, but we, we haven't yet articulated what the change is. So keeping people enthused and motivated while helping them understand what needs to change in order for us to meet the expectations of First Nations people, of, of government, um, is a really top priority. And um, it's, it's really important to capitalise on that excitement and inspiration that people have uh, while paying attention to the well-being of staff, making sure people don't overdo it. We have to work in a sustainable way. Uh, so I, I think there's a lot we can say today about well-being, but it has to be at the core of everything we're doing, looking after our staff and making sure that we're set up for that success mm. because the weight of responsibility is heavy and um, uh, the next uh, couple of years are going to be really important for mm. the agency. Yeah. And it's how do we find that stamina? You know, as you mentioned, Belinda, the, the highly engaged individuals also feeling quite exhausted and the balance there in giving the, the creative license that Michael speaks about and, and, you know, the balance of this ongoing change effort, you know, while keeping people at, at the core, but utilising the technology as well. To, to alleviate some of that. It's a, it's a really interesting piece being underpinned by the leadership, you know, so important. So um, thank you for those opening remarks. Um, I'd like to pose a question um, to you, Rachel, um, in regards to how and what you've done, if anything yet, um, that's addressing these challenges by the changing expectations of the of the new government and then the community in turn, um, with the changing then expectations internally of your workforce. Um, can yes. you speak sort of a bit more tactically to that? Yes, I can. I mean, I mean there's, there's a lot that we've been doing uh, in engaging with staff uh, and our executive on, on how to uh, meet the, the changes that, that uh, expected of us by community um, and by government. Um, some of the really tactical things that we've been talking about is um, for staff to remember that there has been a changing of the guard, um, to be mindful of the language, um, remembering that it's a new, new government in some cases, um, a lot of new advisors, uh, uh, how we work with ministerial officers, um, is really important in building that trust and that relationship uh, so that we can have a really productive relationship. And and just for some of our people that don't have um, quite the day-to-day -day engagement with ministerial officers, I think it was important for us to overtly say, remember, think about the language you're using. Um, but on, a, on an enterprise um, uh, view, we are looking at our um, our transformation agenda. We had started talking about how we position ourselves to work in partnership to give effect to self-determination. And I think when um, when the uh, government came in with very high expectations of going to a uh, referendum in the first term, we thought, well, we just need to put an injection into this transformation agenda and really make sure that we're well set up mm. uh, for this. So we're looking at, we've got streams of work, looking at our, our policy and strategy, our investment, our engagement and our data and information, making sure that that's all 
it's all connected and, and um, informed in the way we support government and First Nations communities, mm. but also our people. It's a really important stream that goes across all of those uh, lenses because if our people aren't skilled in in um, in working in the way that we need to work, I mean, working in partnership is quite different from a traditional public service way. And I think it's not just our agency that needs to put community at the centre of all that they, they do, but um, uh, some traditional public servants we're used to delivery and um, how you do that is is sometimes a bit crash and crash through. But now we have to take our time to listen to the voices, to listen to the experiences and make sure that um, we're giving that um, common sense of purpose, that space to hear um, where we need to go, where the community wants us to prioritise our efforts mm. uh, and making sure we have the right data to inform those conversations. There's so many elements to that. So how we bring that together that makes sense for staff without being overwhelmed with a whole lot of different uh, activities and um, agendas underway uh, is going to be really important. And, and so we're spending a lot of time talking to staff about that. Uh, once we've developed it, we will make sure that um, we give the um, people an opportunity to, to um, connect with it in a way that they can understand what it means for them, not just as an organisation, but at, at an individual level. Mm. So it's, um, I've been offline working on that for a couple of months, and that's um, that's an indication that the CEO thought, no, this is this is really important for um, for the agency to respond, uh, and um, it was a pretty big signal to the agency too that we needed to spend some time to develop or how we're going to work in the next uh, couple of years. Mm. So, yeah. And um, Belinda, I know there's been some you know, interesting um, momentum in terms of a shift in the, in the culture from an employee value sort of perspective and, and, and perception and how you engage in the workforce. Do you want to yeah. sort of add to that? Sure can. Uh, look, anyone following my secretary on LinkedIn would know that from, you know, very early on, um, our goal is to, you know, essentially to mirror some of those, you know, national conversations around what do great jobs look like? What does that mean to have a, a fair workplace, a safe workplace, a productive workplace? Those things go hand in hand. It's not rocket science. Um, and so I think picking up on Rachel's point around the way we're shifting, you know, the way we approach policy and delivery, that focus on listening also translates to the way we have to do culture mm. in the public service. So. Um, Yes, we have a strong foundation, but we've only been this department for two months today. And it was only six months since we had a, a machinery of government change and, you know, before that. So um, that constant change for staff um, uh, is something we always have um, very, you know, front of mind because that plus the workload, I think, of um, the pace of things in the lead up to the election, but then obviously post as well is something we're sort of trying to, we're leaning into, but also stepping back. Cause I think also giving staff the opportunity to, to be heard about how they feel about that, um, you know, participate in the conversation. So one of the earliest conversations we've had with staff at the Department of Employment and Workplace Relations has been around culture and diversity, particularly leaning into diversity. Um, 
you know, we've got commentary from the Prime Minister, you know, about late and ministers uh, about no one getting left behind. And, and again, that's just probably another example of how things that are happening at that national political level, you know, also uh, ring true for, for government departments, not least of all a government department that has two cabinet ministers with responsibilities for employment, skills and training, the workplace relations system. So, you know, we've got, um, again, to sort of play out some of those national conversations about um, the labour force and there's not many humans left. No, so right. I, I don't need to tell Hazen. Um, <laughs> you know, um, we've got to step back and think, what are the reskilling opportunities in the public service in our own department across the sector um, so that we've got people ready to do the jobs that are coming as well as the jobs that people are doing now. And I know um, Michael's work at Services Australia here is, is pretty APS leading, so I'll let him, him uh, talk about that. Yeah, fantastic. Interesting in terms of just that question around the community expectations, Michael, and the balance that your workforce has to consider as well as the government agenda. How, what are you seeing there? Yeah, look, um, first of all, the term listening has come up a number of times and that's absolutely at the centre of, of our approach right now. Um, the other thing which um, the word probably wasn't used um, by Rachel and Belinda, but I think it's central to all of our approaches as well and, and ours in particular. Um, and, it, and I think it came through in, in the election campaign from the government uh, was around the concept of together. Yeah. So um, we are reaching out more deeply now than probably ever before into communities uh, to try and engage. Uh, but equally, we're playing that back on ourselves. And again, looking in the mirror and seeing how are we going about engaging with our staff and with one another um, with together as a, as a major concept for us to, mm -hmm. to see how we can use that. The other thing that we are doing is being very mindful of indicators and, and um, sort of uh, things that we're seeing come from the government. So we're still really listening and, and watching what this government is doing. There's still a few things that haven't been resolved yet um, that we need to and we will need to engage with in coming months. And I, and I talk in particular about the bargaining policy and the, the workplace relations policy for the APS. Um, so we're thinking about um, how do we go about that? We're starting to talk to staff about, you know, there will be changes into the future in relation to, to bargaining in particular. Uh, we can expect those. We don't have a great deal of detail, but let's be ready for some more change in relation to that. Um, we're seeing in some of our research, 64% of employees now intend to look for this adaptive hybrid environment um, in their next role. Um, and that's consisting of flexible schedule for outcomes rather than just the set in office or work from home. So what are the key people and culture priorities for you personally and for the organisation? And what are the risks of you not achieving the desired outcomes? Belinda, could I get you to comment on that? Um, I think at the core of every leadership challenge is balancing um, the insights and data that you have available to you with your instinct mm -hmm. and getting the balance right between those two. And I think um, some of the, um, the workforce data is giving us incredible insight, I guess, in HR, but also, you know, from a practical perspective for, for a line manager about how things are looking and feeling. So it's coming back to that point around listening and, and instincts, but also using the insights that are available to you and, and the data and those sorts of things. So I think, um, you know, balancing, um, you know, these incredible um, 
priorities of, of, of the newish government, 101 days. Um, you know, uh, with uh, the sustainability aspect, I think that's got to be something that staff don't just hear us saying that they feel it in the way that they're, you know, their lived experience day to day with their line managers and their teams. So um, these things have shifted um, quite significantly for us in terms of um, what our staff looking for as a baseline now. And I think, um, you know, access to flexibility is sort of become a very critical part of, of, of a baseline. And I think we think about the three things that are sort of we try to put at the centre or we're moving towards putting at the centre of sort of um, uh, this concept about what, what are the baseline factors, I think, in addition to flexibility, you've got wellbeing and inclusivity. So I guess if you, if you get those things, those things working well individually and then together, um, that's where, you know, your that's the sweet spot of your value proposition. I think, um, you know, it's been incredibly, you know, powerful watching folks all across the, the public service, you know, in terms of the response to COVID, whether it's in communities, it's a vaccination rollout, it's, you know, it's a service delivery of payments and, and support. Um, you know, I think um, that purpose that people have had, we've got to hold on to that. I think, um, in a really meaningful way so that there's that continued engagement and, and from that engagement obviously comes um, the, the bonus of productivity. Um, I think the risks of us not leaning into this um, with the labour market as it is, and particularly in Canberra, but I, I think it just, talking to other folks, you know, I think it, it feels like that in most capitals now, that the labour market is so tight, you, you need to, you need to really deeply understand how do those three elements of flexibility, inclusivity and wellbeing, how do they play out? And, you know, I think staff have high expectations, but I don't personally feel like that's new. Mm. Um, but people have different mechanisms to tell the world about how they feel about their expectations. Um, so before LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook, so I talk about Facebook, that's how old I am, um, uh, you know, people have a bit of a megaphone for describing their expectations in a way that we, we didn't have access to before the technology. So I'm not sure that expectations have shifted that much. It's just that we have this, you know, the, the joy of social media as a platform for that. It's a really good point. Um, and Rachel, what are um, your key people and culture priorities for you personally? And does that align with the organisation's priorities? Yeah, well, uh, hopefully they do. <laughs> yes, so I mean, I've talked about well-being, mental mental well-being, physical well-being, all, all very important to um, productivity, but also just, you know, enjoyment of life. And so I think we, we've talked about the exhaustion. The exhaustion's not just about work, it's the pressures, the there's um, so much happening on the global stage that it's hard not to have that infiltrate you, your life and your worry about the world and, and the future. So taking time to think about um, wellbeing. Um, I think you're, you mentioned about people want flexibility in how they achieve outcomes. In the public service, I think some of our challenge has been how we measure outcomes at a particularly at an individual team level sometimes, particularly in, in where it's a might be policy advice is not as easy as some of the more transactional work to measure. So where I've been focusing on is how we can be um, 
we keep talking about purpose, how we can be quite purposeful in how we spend our time. Um, we do all have to change and that's not just the organisation changing, it's individuals, what's our responsibility uh, to look at how we're working. Um, yes, we support hybrid arrangements. We, we've just had our census results. People feel feeling comfortable with um, being able to access flexible work arrangements. That's that's all good, but but how do we measure the impact? And are you spending your time in the right places? Because there's, I mean, I have it. I'm sure you two too. A daily challenge of being supposed to be in three places at once, and I have to be quite purposeful. Where is where am I going to have the most impact? Mm -hmm. uh, how I choose to spend my time is important as as um, why I'm spending my time on those things. Uh, so having those conversations with staff uh, about um, connecting to purpose, but using the time in the best way, which might not be always the way you want to spend the time. Um, Sometimes we do have to be a bit ruthless with our time uh, to get the outcomes and having those honest conversations. I think everyone's come to that realisation and that's the change in the culture now, just generally in any workplace. Um, Michael, what, what are you seeing in terms of being able to find that balance? And you spoke earlier about that intersect between the workplace and your home, and now they are blurred. So, yeah. Um so for us, I suppose I'll touch on that and then I'll just um, touch um, Clara on a couple of other things which are really key to us at the moment in terms yes. of our areas of focus um, in the people space. I think understanding your people deeply is so critical now, so much more critical than what it has been in the past because of all of those pressures, because of the pace of change, because of the, you know, the amount of information that people are bombarded with every single day through so many channels. We really need to understand and engage with our people deeply. Um, and we can sit there and think, well, how do you go about doing that? It's not a survey that's going to do that. That's going and having conversations with people. And it probably goes back to the points around together and, and engaging with others. So really, really want to encourage managers, and this is something that we try to do as much as we can, encourage managers to actually go and have conversations with staff, get to know them, find out what their dog's name is, find out how many how many children they have, what they've done on the weekend, raise those things next time you've spoken to someone. Say, how's your dog? How's your, you know, what are the kids doing? How's your mother? Those sorts of things. That's how you genuinely engage with people. And it's through that genuine engagement, you're, must, you're much more likely to understand how people are coping, how people are uh, engaging at work. If there are issues, they're more likely to come and talk to you. If you don't have those relationships, uh, it makes it much more difficult to manage. Um, and I suppose I just really wanted to make that point, the, the really critical thing about being a human, having a conversation and being genuine with others. Um, and just touching on two other key um, yes. people uh, priorities for us. One is around culture. So we learnt and it became really obvious to us through the COVID period or the last two years that our people are so committed to helping others. So let's harness that and let's not diminish that over time. So we've got a really significant transformation agenda, a lot of uh, technology advances that we're planning over the next couple of years, a few uh, people initiatives that we're progressing as well. We're really conscious of the fact that we actually want to build on the culture that we have, but if we don't manage the change appropriately, we could actually damage that. Yeah. So it's, it's front and centre for us in terms of managing culture. And the other one is 
um, around capability of organisation in, and in particular the war for talent. Mm. Uh, we all know that the labour market is so tight at the moment. We've all got big agendas. We are playing in a pool which is shrinking in terms of the talent that we need to um, engage with and uh, maintain and that's a really difficult thing. Um, for us as an organisation we've tried to break it up into areas of focus for us so we'll buy the talent so we're revising our recruitment processes so let's look at how we can give a better candidate experience to not only our internal staff but those from outside. Um, it, it, we know um, shock to anyone that if someone has a poor candidate experience they probably won't apply again. We can't have that. We need to be, you know, really, really purposeful, to use that word, about making sure that a candidate experience is, is good. Um, we, um, so it's a buy, borrow, build and transition model. Building is really about investing further in capability of our people, trying to make sure that we understand what capability they have, what they need and how do we best and most effectively engage and, and invest in that. Yeah. So a really good segue in terms of our, our final question around, um, you know, the, the employees um, are looking at work um, and for work to be more personal to sort of not only attract but retain um, and in this tight market. So in terms of the evolution of this employee value proposition, um, what are you doing differently or what is your agency doing differently that will address this, not just now, but, you know, in a sustained um, manner? Belinda? Yeah, thank you. It's a really, really good question. We are starting with flexibility, I think, as a really big priority for us. I think um, leaning into, you know, the staff, the union feedback we've had about um, flexible work policy settings, you know, what we know about the market, um, but also observing, um, you know, to come back to this point around the importance of data and insights, you know, observing that when people have been working remotely, um, you know, looking at census results around how people still feel engaged, they feel like we're taking care of their well-being, you know, all of those sorts of really important markers, um, I think are really closely tied to, to then sort of um, uh, some of those baseline expectations around flexibility and wellbeing and inclusivity, as I said earlier. Um, so at a practical level for us, we're um, looking at our uh, policy settings. Um, we have um, become the Department of Employment and Workplace Relations, um, uh, principally from what was previously education, skills and employment, but we've brought colleagues in from two other departments. So, so we sort of, we use language around being a startup, um, which, you know, we're two months in to a, to a brand new department. We're not DESI 2.0, we're not AGD 2.0, you know, we're due we're, we're, mm. we're We're starting from, uh, not totally from scratch, but it, it is a new enterprise, it's a new executive, new secretary. And so that opportunity to, you know, reset, restore some of those, you know, conversations and, and the primacy of that and, and reframing that approach is something we're leaning into at the moment. Um, lots of public service agencies, have, of course, have had sort of business continuity related measures in terms of some of the, you know, the peak of COVID and, and winter flus um, over the last couple of weeks and months. And, and we've used that time again, like we did during COVID lockdowns and, and, and the last two years before that. We're looking to see what lessons have we learned about the way we can make hybrid work work? 
Uh, and I think in a more sustained manner, look at how we can keep doing those in the long run, as opposed to, I guess, what has just been a case of reacting to the external environment for the last two and a half years. So um, one of the observations I would make is that we did it all kind of um, at speed, at pace, under pressure um, to respond to COVID and then natural disasters and various other things. But we probably, in, in terms of a reset, probably need to make sure that managers and staff feel uh, capable and skilled and supported to now do this for the long run instead of just doing it as a response to that external factor or factors, plural. Um, so that's a really big focus for us. So what's, what is our flex fitness, I guess, to, to keep doing this as a long-term sustainable approach to work instead of just a reaction to, to external factors? That, that's the challenge for us. Yeah, great. Um, and now I'm just conscious of timing, but I wonder, Rachel, would you like to um, sort of respond to that in terms of the employee value proposition change, if if at all, that yeah. you're seeing? Yeah, I mean, it's something we're all focusing on and we're, mm. we're all fighting for people. We've got so much um, to do. Um, but I think a big part of it is the experience of work at work and the, the interesting work, creating mobility opportunities all of that is important, but I think what we might have lost a bit in the crisis mode that we've talked about was everybody had their shoulder to the wheel to, to get the work done. Now we need to remind our managers and our um, leaders that, that if they're not spending 20 to 30% of their time developing their staff, then they're not doing their jobs. Yeah. And that will really, um, we need to be thinking about the future of the public service. We're stewards of the public service and who's bringing up the next gen public servants. Uh, I think we've just been running, as you said, Belle, um, it was just at pace. We, we really need to remind staff to get back to the basics. And we've been focusing a lot on manager essentials and learning to lead and those sort of programs. But it's also that on the job experience of how much time you're spending having quality conversations with your staff about setting expectations, making sure they've got role clarity, you know, there's, they're the sort of things we're focusing on. Yeah. And I think that will, you know, improve the employee experience. And when that, that word of mouth gets out, that then the EVP goes up as well. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and no doubt um, everyone is focusing on it in all sectors and, and industries, but it's the nuances that are relevant to you and, and your, mm. your workplace, your workforce. Um, it's really interesting to see it change. Um, and so what, what I'd like to do is just have a look at our um, Q&A opportunity for um, our viewers today. And we do have a question um, from Jade. Um, it's on, it's about COVID opened up um, a more inclusive way of working that took family responsibilities into consideration. It makes you realise that full-time work five days per week in an office is designed for people without family responsibilities. How will the APS make sure that it learns from the experience and keeps the best bits? And what are the actions that we will see? Would anyone like to start on addressing that question? Well, I mean, I think we were all learning from it already and we're, put it, we're trying to put it into practice. Um, but I, I would say it's, it's it's also opened up a whole lot of experience to people with disability who's, who's saying now I've got, I've got, I've, I'm more enabled to participate in some cases than I was before. We've got a very dispersed workforce and, and all of a sudden 
when everybody was working from home, everybody was on a level playing field. So there's there's so many, not just about families, mm. it, there's so many different elements to how we're working now that we absolutely need to learn from. And I think we are embedding it into the way we work. And, um, you know, Michael talked about the employee experience and listening to what people need. Um, we need to absolutely keep doing that and making the space for that listening. Mm. Yes. Do you have any thoughts on that question? Yeah, I, I do. Um, it's an interesting one. I think um, I think we could see um, some broad principles being rolled out um, across the public service that um, could be used, and, and the Public Service Commission have done that in, in some respects so far, but maybe we could see something more like that into the future. Um, because I think the other part of it is you really do need to understand um, the situation in which people are working. So there will be particular types of work that simply can't be done from home. Mm -hmm. There'll be work that is sensitive in nature, which make it difficult to work from home. So it's grappling with some of those sorts of concepts and trying to provide people with flexibility that not only um, supports them, but still enables the business to meet its, its needs as well. And, and I think that's critically important. The other thing that we've been mindful of is the research which is coming out now, which is talking about some of the issues that come can come out of people working at home, not necessarily in a hybrid way, but for longer periods of time, where exercise goes down the drain, where uh, they are isolated, so they're not connecting with their colleagues in the same way, they are working longer hours, so having people to come back into the workplace, engage with their colleagues as humans face to face is really important as well. So we need to be cautious about how um, much we embrace the whole working from home mm. concept. Um, yeah, I just think that's an important consideration for mm. all of us. I, I, I sort of can resonate with that in terms of people leadership and that um, perhaps delayed knowledge share or the learning through osmosis when you're sitting next to someone and you're able to very quickly in real life time just bounce something off them and you know for, for productivity but it's a balance you know and it's a fine line I think it's going to be tailored for all right what we'd like to do now is just um, have a think about um, some closing remarks. I think this has been a really valuable discussion. I think we could probably sit here for two days <laughs> and, and, and nut through a number of the, the points raised, but um, I'd like to just invite um, you all to offer a key takeaway to our audience um, to perhaps apply or think about as, as people leaders in this current um, environment. So would you like to start, Rachel? Thanks, Cara. I think um, picking up on my earlier comment of if, if referring to people leaders, um, thinking about how you're spending your time, being very mindful about how you're spending your time. Uh, and that's not just choosing what you do during the day, but ha having an awareness of where you're at personally. So for me, I've got people who will tell me I, um, if I've skipped some training sessions, if I don't exercise, I might get a little snappier in my responses. <laughs> you know, I lose my balance and my equilibrium. Um, so making sure that you're doing the things that keep you well and happy and um, and have that balance. But also when you're spending your time at work, um, are you just doing busy work? Are you spending time developing your staff? 
um, and being quite mindful in, in choosing what you do. And sometimes it might not be what you want to do, but it's the it's the important thing that you need to do. Yeah. And and remembering your role as, as a steward of, of the system, which is the APS. Thank you, Michael. Yeah, look, I'd echo um, Rachel's points, I think. Um, uh, and for me, in a more pointed way, probably just going back to my earlier point, which is just around getting to know your staff, engaging with people genuinely, um, being a person to them as well, um, so they can they feel that they can connect with you, um, and understanding the importance of trust in our workplace, in our relationships. So one of the things um, for me, and this is just a little tip to take away, is the importance of the congruence between messaging and behaviour. So as soon as you start messaging something and you start to behave in a different way, you start to diminish your trust with your, your people. And I think that's a really critical point in, a, in an era when trust uh, could be seen to be at a really low point for many people, mm. it's critically important that we maintain that. That's all, thank you. Thank you. Belinda. Um, look, obviously always in furious agreement with these two um, as a general rule. Um, I think, the value of the check-in um, is something that I don't think we can um, overstate. I think um, how are you going with life and work um, are really important questions. I, I, I think we don't want to waste the crisis that we've that we've had responding to COVID. And you know, if, if people are continuing to do the that genuine how are you going, um, being mindful of the pressures people are under in their work and their home life and all the other bits and bobs of, of, of adulting, um, that's where, you know, really beautiful staff engagement and productivity happen. And I think um, all the kindness that we saw, you know, in, in COVID, um, again, we don't want to waste that. We want to, we want to say that's the thing we want to keep going with. And I, I certainly, um, while it was incredibly stressful and tiring, particularly for those of us in, in the front line of HR, um, observing the best of humankind in really trying circumstances is something I think we can keep doing, you know, through keeping tabs on people, checking in, putting, you know, wellbeing at the centre of, of leadership is um, is a pretty good way to, to keep going. Yeah, wonderful. There's been um, lots of wonderful themes today that um, I hope you can all take away with you and, and, and apply or just sort of food for thought around what you're doing and, and how you're um, doing that with your people. But um, I'd really like to thank you all for, for being involved. Thank you all for joining us and um, see you next time. So a very big thanks to Clara Fallon for hosting that conversation with Belinda Casson. Michael Nelson and Rachel Jackson. And I'm sure uh, you got a lot out of it just as I did. It was a great session and really uh, looking at that, you know, the detail of these challenges around workforce. So, uh, you know, another great uh, conversation there. And a big thanks to the team at IPA for making the webinar available to the Work With Purpose audience. Uh, a big thanks as always to the Australian Public Service Commission for their ongoing support for Work With Purpose and indeed to the team at the content group here who help us to put it together 
uh, every week, the program, and help to get it to air. Uh, and also a big thanks to the team at IPA who also do a great job uh, in helping put the programs together. And a big thanks to you, audience. If you do have a time to uh, go to your favourite podcatcher uh, to give us a rating or review, it does help the program to be found. So if you do have time, please, uh, we'd really appreciate you doing that. We'll be back at the same time in two weeks with another episode of Work With Purpose. My name is David Pembroke. Thanks very much, and we'll see you then. Work With Purpose is a production of Content Group in partnership with the Institute of Public Administration Australia and with the support of the Australian Public Service Commission. 